Hi there, a quick note before the episode begins. Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Miha on the Mic, where me, Miha, interviews daughters of immigrants who are making moves in their industries around the world. Today, I'm excited to invite our podcast host, podcast executive, and Iranian-American daughter of immigrants, Anna Hosnay. Anna is an Iranian-American live comedy video podcast producer and writer who co-hosts the very funny and always wonderful Ethnically Ambiguous podcast. So I'm so excited to chat to you because I love your show and I love that your intro is who am I, who are my parents and where are my pants? <laughs> I think many of us can relate to that. So let's jump in. Um, Miha is all about immigrant stories. So I want to I want to start with your immigrant history, if you can go into it a little bit. Uh, yeah. So my parents were both born in Iran and in their early 20s, both immigrated to the U.S. to go to college. And they both, in a weird turn of events, ended up in Utah, uh, which is a very interesting state. But at the time, a lot of universities, because it was like, you know, the early to mid 70s, were accepting a lot of Iranian foreign students, basically. They were just all applying to go to university. And I think a lot of Iranians at the time we're just going to come to America, get their college degrees, and then go back to Iran. And that was before the Iranian revolution happened in 1979, when a lot of Iranians who were already here decided, you know what, I'll stay, uh, unless they were deported or went back for any other reason. Um, so yeah, my parents both came to Utah separately to go to university, and they ended up meeting each other uh, at a mutual friend's wedding in the early 80s, I believe. And uh, yeah, once they met, they decided to get married. Based on my understanding, my dad had already been married once to get a green card. Uh, and then he and this woman that he married divorced. And then when my mom and him met, uh, I think they got married pretty quickly because then my mom needed a green card. Uh, but then, you know, they stayed together because, you know, it worked out. That's amazing. A true immigrant love story. Yeah. <laughs> Based on sort of so, like a contractual agreement. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about your relationship with Iran and, you know, how that culture was kind of present in your home growing up. 
I grew up in a very Iranian household. So, you know, we only speak Farsi. Like the culture was very present, uh, so much so that it was almost torturous as a youth who's trying to like fit in. You know, it was always very much like it was very clear I was Iranian. Uh, and my parents are also very Iranian. So, you know, and we were always surrounded by family, friends who are also in the community, like the Iranian community. So our house always smelled weird to my non-Iranian friends. And I always, you know, I always felt like, you know, I didn't fit in because I was like one of the Iranian kids within like the Iranian community. So like there wasn't a lot of other girls I could like hang out with. There were a few here and there, but most for the most part, they were like a little older than me. So I always sort of felt like, you know, I couldn't relate a lot to people because I was like, no one gets me. You know, I was very dramatic because I wasn't very good at like sort of processing these emotions. And my parents were like, well, you have a roof over your head, so be happy. In retrospect, I'm glad I was so deep in the culture and like surrounded by Iranians and always speaking Farsi because, you know, I can speak it to this day and it's nice to be able to communicate with my parents. And also like I would go to Iran every few years my whole life. Um, so that was also good because then it allowed me to communicate with my family in Iran and I could like talk to people and continue to have a relationship with family members who were not in this country because my parents were the only people from their respective families that came to America. Like no one else in our family is in America except for my parents. So yeah, you know, I've spent a good amount of time in Iran and I really love it there. I actually haven't been back since 2017. I was there when the uh, sort of Muslim ban happened, when Trump took office. And that was very sort of, it was such a confusing time because I was in Iran. Everyone's like sending me all this information. I'm like, what is happening? And it's been hard to uh, sort of motivate myself to go back to Iran, especially when Trump was the president. And then um, COVID happened um, and it's just COVID was really bad over there. And so it's been a I want to go back soon because I feel like this is the longest I haven't gone back to Iran. But I'm hoping maybe in the next few years I can find my way back eventually. Um because a lot of my relatives are getting older, you know, I want to go back and see them potentially for the last few times. You never know. There's so much about the daughter of immigrant experience that is about that extended family being so far away. I wonder if there's anyone in your family that, you know, you've been able to have that kind of connection with despite that distance. I don't know if maybe you had um, someone who inspired you who's back home or in that home, if you could call it home. Where is home? I communicate with all my cousins and my cousin's kids quite regularly. I mean, like, thanks to social media, like we're talking all the time. Like all we do is like respond to each other's Instagram stories and be like, that's funny. What's going on? What's this? You know, like we're always talking and, you know, we have like you can use like WhatsApp or Telegram and we like text each other. And a um, few of the younger cousins have gone to Australia, actually, to go to college and stuff. So like that's pretty cool. So like if I wanted to, we could go to like Australia and meet up or there's like we're definitely in communication, which is nice. Is the, the tough part is like you're actively missing like a physical like relationship of like watching like my cousin's like young son who last time I saw him was probably like seven or eight years old. And I just saw a photo of him like the other day and he's like, I mean, he's got to be like 13 or 14 now. And I'm like, wow, he's like a teen. It's a very surreal feeling to be like you're growing up over like through photos. And I, I wish I could be able to like, you know, 
actually physically be around them. Um, but it's a strange thing. And I would say like my biggest sort of, I mean, influencer person that like meant a lot to me was my uncle. And well, as a couple, my uncle and my aunt, my dad's oldest brother and his wife, you know, my uncle passed away a few years ago and he was such a very sort of patriarchal figure in my household, like in my family, my Iranian family. And to like after he passed away, like he always he didn't say a lot. Uh, We kind of had a family tragedy when I was like 13 or 14, where his son passed away in like a very sort of freak accident. Ever since then, he's always been like almost like a very quiet, silent type. Like he only spoke when he really had something to say. And um, I just remember I would just spend like hours just sitting next to him and he would just like chain smoke and not say anything. But there was like almost like a comfort level of just being next to him physically that always like sort of gave me this peace of knowing that he was there. And when he did say stuff to me, like it was always things that like literally like changed my whole perspective on like (laughs) my family and like my dad and like my thoughts on certain things, which was always like there's very like key moments in my life. And just in like a moment of like self-doubt or like hurt or like sort of anxiety, he would turn to me and just say something And it would just mean like the world to me because he was like opening up in this way and telling me something about like my family that like I didn't know or didn't realize. And and I always just be like, whoa, he's giving me like almost a gift here that like traditionally in like immigrant families, like your parents don't really like open up to you. You know, they're not sitting there being like, let's dissect our feelings. Like, why do we feel these things or why do we do what we do? Like, it's so much like culturally in your own, like you don't sit there and be like, I'm sad or I'm depressed or I'm anxious. And like, why, why am I like this? So it was always very hard for me to like understand certain things of like, maybe like, oh, where does certain mental illness come from in my life? And, and it was very small, brief moments just throughout my life. And he would just like, tell me like, just maybe like a sentence or two, and then just go back to being like (laughs) very quiet and, you know, not worried. Uh, But those were like very important times in my life. And After he passed away, like I felt his wife, my aunt was her presence. Like she's such a strong woman. She had gone through something so horrible to like lose one, her son early on. And then she lost her husband in a sort of a sudden uh, death. Her like strength and also like ability to be a rock for like almost everyone around her. I just I've always very, very much admired her for that and thought she was just such an incredible woman. Like is it real? Like, is she real? She's such a like almost majestic figure because she just holds such weight like within our family. And yeah, there's like the two people that really stand out to me in regard to answer your question. <laughs> That's beautiful. No, you, you know, some people answer that question in a lot of different ways. And, and that was really beautiful to hear. I think something that we have that is so valuable is this connection to family. And if we're able to maintain it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But I would like to kind of move on into this side that is more fun, comedy. Tell me about the podcast. Why is it called Ethnically Ambiguous? It is called Ethnically Ambiguous because so Shreen Yunez and I, my co-host, we would always talk about how we were considered ethnically ambiguous. We'd say like, oh, like no one knows what we are. Everyone thinks, you know, we could be of Latinx origin. We could be 
I mean, Shireen has a Persian name, so everyone would think she was Persian, but she's actually Syrian. And so it's like we were always like trying to find a way to explain who we are. You know, we went to college together and we were like acquaintances because we were in the same major, but like we got to know each other after college when we both moved to Los Angeles. And um, when we got here, we were both kind of like, oh, we all we have one big thing in common, which is that like that we're both ethnically ambiguous and it's not very clear what we are. And we always sort of like bonded over being kids of immigrants. And we just started like collaborating on a lot of like funny little like videos and writings and sketches. And then we decided to do a web series on this sort of women's based YouTube channel called Snarled. We did a web series called Ethnically Ambiguous for six episodes. After we did that, it was just like a lot of work. And, you know, when you're trying to like do stuff on YouTube and it was kind of like it was tough. So one of the producers on who worked at Snarled was like, you should make it into a podcast. It'll just be easier to produce and then release and you can add more content and then you can like get it out a lot quicker Uh, and you can do more. And we were like, "Okay, yeah, let's do that. So we just started. Actually, I remember I was in Iran I think 2017, when we recorded our first episode over the internet, it was like the strangest thing. We just did a call, which is so funny because it's it's like now how we do everything. But this was (laughs) in 2017 and we hadn't really like perfected recording a podcast. That's kind of how it came about. It was very much like we wanted a place where we could talk about the feelings that we had that we thought were so universal to other children of immigrants that like I guess at the time in 2017 wasn't being discussed, I guess, on podcasts as much. Now it's it's, you know, podcasting has really boomed. So um, there's a lot more people out there talking about it. But the whole theme of the show that we'd always go back to is that you're not alone. Like these feelings are what a lot of us feel. And I think just like having all these different guests on our show, that's like a one big thing we learn is like it's all so relatable. Like we all went through a very similar experience, like emotionally, it might not be, we might not be from the exact same cultures, you know, but like there is some underlying themes that a lot of us children of immigrants experience. I'd love to talk about that because of course we have a lot of things in common and it's something that we proved on Miha in that sense, because every season was a different immigrant family. And in the end, a lot of the storylines are very similar, whether it's a Colombian family or a Chinese family or an Egyptian family. So I would love to maybe if you could go, I don't know, I guess I'd say your top three things that you've learned over 300 episodes you have, right? It's a huge show. So maybe if you can give us your top three learnings, things that themes, general things that you feel like everyone really, really can relate to from all of these experiences. The big one, which I mentioned earlier, is the sort of therapizing of emotions. Like it's just not really a thing. I think a a big part of the struggle about being an immigrant is like you find that your parents are like, there's no time or room to complain. Like you need to just go out and do your thing and work hard to get like you to succeed, basically. And it's like coming from a different country, coming to America, you're all of a sudden like I'm in a new land. I don't speak the language. I need to either like try and get into a school, go to college or I need to get a job and start working and like work my way up. And You know, my mom came and just went to college. My dad came and like was working at like gas stations, working at oil companies, just like trying to like work his way and then eventually went to university, but then spent like every summer working really hard 
to succeed. And like literally, like I remember he said, like, I learned to speak English, like watching, you know, TV. (laughs) You learn the tradition from watching a TV show. Like that's how you had to come in and be like, I want I'm an American now. I'm going to just like, you know, take in as much as I can. And then there's certain things that just like left an imprint. And uh, the sort of like feelings and and dissecting your emotions has never really been a thing. One thing I do want to say, like something that we learned through all our interviews is like, this isn't always the case. This is the case the majority of the time. But we do have some outliers who didn't experience this, whose parents were immigrants and were just, you know, a little more down to give their kids Mm -hmm. sort of that space to figure out what they wanted to do in life. But the majority want you to go into a career that's stable study to be like an electrical engineer you know you can get a job you know you can create stability in your life and then you know (laughs) get health insurance that that's always like a very um sort of pushed you know agenda in these households we've seen and a lot of the people we talk to are you know, artists and like in this sort of more creative realm. And so a lot of them had that experience of being like, yeah, you know, it wasn't the easiest, including my own experience of being like, yeah, you know, I'm not necessarily going to go be a lawyer, which my dad always said I should be because I love to argue, but I wanted my freedom. And something, again, I would like to state, it's, it's, it was it was actually quite nice to hear when it, when you hear from someone and they're like, actually, like my parents were supportive because it gives you hope. You're like, yeah, that's nice to hear that they were supportive of you. And that they were like, yeah, go be a comedian or go be a writer or, you know, go just explore what you want to do in life. And that's it's nice to hear Mm. to see another side outside, like the almost stereotypical experience that so much of us have. Um, It's a juxtaposition of, oh, you can be an artist or you can be something that's stable. And in a lot of the shows that we produce at Ochenter, there's always a character that you know, wants to be an actor or something. And the mom is like, no, you can't do that, sweetie. You're going to want to eat someday and that's not going to help you. I just had this conversation with someone this week about the fact that my mom growing up, I told her one day that I wanted to move to Paris. I was like, I'm taking French classes and one day I will move to Paris. My mom at the time, like she's a single mom raising two kids, a paycheck to paycheck. It's not easy life. But instead of saying, no, you can't do that, she said, you know, dreaming is free. Soñar no cuesta nada. So it's exactly that. She could have been like, no, you can't do that. But she just instead of like shutting me down, she just said, "Okay, dreaming is free right now. You can dream all you want. And actually, I do live in Paris now and I did end up achieving my dream. But I think it, it means so much when a parent can do that. And I think it's so cool now that we're that generation that grew up with many different experiences, of course, now is able to even pass that on to the next generation as well. Like a lot of the other people I've been chatting to on this show is is kind of asking themselves those questions about their kids mm-hmm. or their, you know, the younger generation that maybe is one generation out away from this experience. I'm curious if you had any any learnings from people that are maybe on the younger side and who aren't necessarily growing up with the same societal requirements in that sense. Of course, we still have a lot of different issues, but I feel like now this younger generation coming up, they're more open and they're more like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm multicultural and what? And they're not facing the same kind of othering that we might have grown up with in the 90s and 80s and 90s. I don't know if you had anyone that kind of pointed that out because I've been seeing that a lot with like the younger folks. 
Um, it actually makes me think about how I don't really interact with a lot of sort of like Gen Z currently. It's something I noticed, like how open the younger generations are and how it doesn't feel so. Yeah, like the othering doesn't feel so pointed. Like you get othered for being a bad person. Like <laughs> you have to have like really sort of <laughs> terrible takes or like politics or, you know, just be like a manipulative sort of gaslight, you know, like all these like sort of buzzwords. But like you have to be like just like a bad person to get othered. You don't really get othered as much because you're like, I mean, and I'm also speaking in my very sort of coastal bubble. So I grew up in the 90s. That was a tough time. Like, you know, people were still being pretty terrible if they just didn't understand you. But I feel like now it's like people, something I've noticed is they ask questions. It's almost like cool to be interested in people's culture. And like when I tell people I'm Persian, they're like, oh, I love like just people I often, you know, that I don't know that well and I don't assume know a lot about like Persian culture will be like, I love Gorma Sabzi. And you're like, whoa, like you know what Gorma Sabzi is? And it's like, oh yeah, like times are different. Like people go and try these foods. You can go to like Brooklyn and go to like a hip Persian restaurant that's doing like, you know, bringing Persian flavors into like a modern twist. And you're like, yeah, because people now can just go and experience that. That was never the case when I was growing up, even with adults. It's like all of a sudden the world opened up, everyone's more interested and like the younger generation is actually engaged it's a questioning that i've been having on the whole thinking about how you know the second third fourth generations are going to have this experience because it certainly feels like more of an open society and they're not necessarily asking themselves the same questions at one point i was thinking well will this show still be relevant because we won't be asking ourselves these questions you know 10 years from now and that's a beautiful thing that might be the case that this will not be a questioning like oh how hard it was and all these things but then like the discourse is going to be a different thing. There's going to be a different issue that we have to deal with. But of course, just seeing that it's going in a positive way is really exciting for for me as a daughter of immigrants and, and I think for the future generations at least. So I do want to ask now that you're even, I think even what you're saying, it seems like you're, you would maybe agree with this statement. Like, is it cool to be ethnically ambiguous now? I think so. Maybe when I was young, I didn't have this opinion because I was just so terrified and wanted to fit in. But like, now I think it's cool. I think it's, I feel like also maybe I'm just drawn to other ethnically ambiguous people because I feel like they can relate to my experience. But yeah, like I remember like a few years into the podcast, like a year or two, like we were in our studios and Alfred Molina was in our studios doing another podcast and he like walked by our show poster and was like ethnically ambiguous. I've always been described as ethnically ambiguous. And that led to him being a guest on our show. And so that was like really cool to have someone like, this has been how I've been described my whole life and give it sort of this authenticity of like, yeah, this is a very real thing. And I'm glad we chose something that was in a way like relatable to a lot of people who maybe didn't have the words for it or just didn't like realize how relatable it was and to like hear our podcast and be like, yeah, this is this is it. So I always ask all of my guests uh, to share maybe a beloved childhood memory, something that kind of describes your experience as a daughter of immigrants in a unique way. So maybe if you can flash back to a moment when you were growing up that kind of encapsulates that experience. I think something that I've always really, I think back on and I've always, I was very glad I experienced is I grew up in the Bay Area of California, and so our parents put us in 
Persian like speaking and writing classes. And they were taught by just like a woman in the community. Like she just she had like different students come in and, you know, we would go once a week and and learn to whatever, write in Farsi. And she had such like a massive group of students that once a year around Persian New Year, she would hold like this giant like um, show that we all got to be a part of. Like we all got to play different roles in the show. And then like a bunch of the parents and like the community would come out and it'd be like a giant concert hall. And it was like so fun. I remember that being like so much fun and like being able to be a part of this community with all these other students that like I didn't necessarily go to school with. They were just like kids I knew from like Persian class, you know. So I always think of that as a very positive experience. You know, it was like the like I feel like when I was young, like the time where I was like so happy and proud to be Persian because you were in your community and you're insulated and then you didn't have to worry about like anyone who didn't get it being like, what is this? Because like everyone got it and everyone was invested and it was really fun. As an adult, do you have that same connection with your community now that you're kind of I don't know if you're like still involved in, in the community like that? Um, Do you seek it out? I mean, I have like Persian friends in L.A. that I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm engaged. I'm still very much like it's ingrained in me, you know, like I have to celebrate. I don't know how not to. You know, my parents are only like five hours away, so we've, we're very much still close. So I almost feel like I, I wouldn't even know how not to be <laughs> Persian. I, I find myself doing and saying, you know, like I know like I'm turning into my dad and I feel it. Um, there's certain things that I find myself irked by and I'm immediately like, like I start acting like my dad and I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm just an old Persian. (laughs) Incredible. A lot of people find it hard. Like when they move away from their family, you're no longer having to be kind of forced to do the traditions like you are when you're a kid. And you know, that kind of pulling you into this thing, if you don't really know it. Yeah, it's difficult. So that's incredible that you've kept that connection. I know you, you're also involved in a lot of diversity and like inclusion efforts at your work. I would love to hear about some of the projects you're most proud of because you're proud of your culture, you're proud of your identity, you're doing it in, in this like individual podcast that you you feature your, your own voice so much. And we're going to have Shireen on the show, actually. I'm going to interview her later. But I know you do so much more. So what are some projects that you're you're particularly proud of that you've kind of brought on? Um, yeah, so in 2020... I created a program called Next Up for iHeart, and it's sort of a diversity inclusion program. There was a lot of sort of like um, podcasting boot camps for like women and, and, you know, minorities that I would see at other networks. And I always thought like, "Mm, like iHeart can do that. Like it's a massive network. Like, why don't we do something like that? And then so I talked to a bunch of people and did a lot of research and created this like sort of boot camp like program for podcasting called Next Up, which is basically like six months where we have um, people of color or minorities or, you know, people from marginalized groups in this program where we give them an opportunity to develop and produce their own shows about whatever they would like to talk about or whatever they think is important to tell their own stories, basically. In six months, basically, we pay for everything. We give them all the equipment. We give them mentors. We um, basically help them develop, produce, record, edit, and have like a full... So by the end of the program, the six months, they have three recorded, fully edited, mixed, mastered episodes, and then a pitch deck 
And the idea was that like, we don't own any of the, the big part of the show or the program was like, I don't want to take anyone's IP. We're not here to just like IP farm from like people of color. Like it's, that's, we've watched industries do that for years. That's not okay. So the big part of my sort of thing was like, if we're going to do this. It's their IP. We don't touch it. If we don't ex- take their show, they get to walk away, do whatever they want with it. They get to keep their equipment. They get to go be a podcaster, go to another network, go do something else, whatever, produce it independently. It's none of our business. We can't take anything from these people. We can only give. And our first round was a success that actually iHeart came and got a sponsor. Toyota came and sponsored all eight of the shows to be released on iHeart, which was great. Um, shows like Partition, which was about the India-Pakistan partition of 1947. Uh, we have a show that's uh, still airing called BFF, Black Fat Femme, hosted by Dr. Jonathan Higgins. Um, when You're Invisible, hosted by Maria Diaz, which is about being, you know, a child of people who work behind the scenes to basically make sure the world runs. So it's like housekeepers, you know, the cooks, the people who like run the like shipping packaging services at universities, like all these different people who don't get looked at twice, but are the backbone of our country. If nothing else happens in my life, (laughs) and this is it, at least I got to like, you know, use my space and position at iHeart to create this program and give other people the opportunity to put their shows and stories out there, which, you know, we've really had to hustle to do with Ethnically Ambiguous. So I'm glad I can just provide that opportunity for them. Um, I like to think like I got my foot in the door and I should like my, my foot is still in the door and I'm like, get in, get in, get in, everyone get in, get in, get in, you know, like, hurry, 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 hurry. They let me in. So let's all, <laughs> I'm just trying to get everyone in while I'm still here. <laughs> That's great. Oh my gosh. Thank you yeah. for that work that you're doing. That's incredible. I can't wait to hear them. So we are coming to the end of the interview. I want to ask you some speed round questions. So what language do you swear in when you accidentally touch a hot plate? In English. Favorite food? Oh, probably fesinjan, which is like a Persian dish that not a lot of people love, but I think it's legendary. What is it made of? It's like a stew, but it's like a thick stew and it has chicken in it, but it has um, almond, like nut flavor. It's like a lot of flavors at once. What's the song you've had in your head this week? Um, <laughs> This is random, but Reba's <laughs> The Night... The, the, the intro music? No. Oh, I do love that song, though. But the night the lights went out in Georgia, it's just really, it's a, it's a jam by Reba. It's random. Okay. I've been on a Reba <laughs> kick recently because I just saw her in concert. So I've been wa- listening to a lot of her music. Incredible. Uh, what's your last Google search that you're comfortable sharing? My last Google search? That's a very good question. Let me look at my history. I was looking at apparently they're like releasing all the uh scripts to succession in a book form i don't know i was just i was reading about that because i was like they're gonna release them all uh but i guess they are yeah i mean obviously you can't get the fourth season until uh, it airs but i i was curious like (laughs) when that's happening how that's happening and if it actually is like coming from the writers and it is which is cool amazing what is your biggest dream Oh, man, my biggest dream. Uh, I, I mean, to keep telling stories like I'm telling, I guess it would be nice to do it on like a even bigger platform, be able to I, I would love to take people's shows and help them 
sell their like IP and make it like, you know, get bigger, like sell a TV show, make a movie, like get people to further uh, get their stories out there. That would be great. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question is, what is your advice to any other daughter of immigrants, Mijas, who are scared to take a leap and start telling their story? What is the thing that you would give them as advice? Just compartmentalize the fear and anxiety. That's a lot of what I do. I have a lot of anxiety and I just compartmentalize it and I jump in headfirst, just almost blind confidence that I don't necessarily have, but I just do it because I think so much of like it is being like, no, no, like stay in your place. Don't step out. Cause that's like what my family taught me my whole life is like, just be a good Persian woman. And it's like, I defy that. And I just go and I do it. And I don't try and overthink it because I think if I think too much about it, that's when my anxiety kicks in and I start to be like, oh no, why did I say that? Or, oh, why did I do that? And just don't think about that aspect of it. Just do it. Tell your story, release the podcast, whatever, write the script, and then turn away from it. And don't let yourself overanalyze what you've just done. Because I think so much of us get scared and it, you get like imposter syndrome and you start to be like, I shouldn't be the one to do this. Don't think about it. Just go and say, I am the person who should tell this story. And then don't think any further about it and let yourself go. Release yourself from that sort of stress and anxiety and fear. And then just keep doing it over and over again, because that's just what I do every week. I just let it go. Once it's done, it's done. It's out of my control. And I have to just move forward. And that's what I do every week. That's the only way I know how to survive. Because if I don't, then it'll eat away at me and I'll stop, you know, trying to create. And I, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Amazing. That's great advice. Thank you so much. It's so exciting also to hear the incredible work you're doing to bring other stories into the ears of many thousands, millions. So one last thing is where can we find your show? Give us a shout out to your socials, please. Our, our, our show is called Ethnically Ambiguous. It's on all podcast platforms. It's hosted by me and my co-host Shereen Yunez, who you'll hear eventually on the show. Um, yeah, you can find it anywhere. My Twitter is at Anna Hosnie, A-N-N-A-H-O-S-S-N-I-H. I promote all the shows I work on on that um, Twitter page. So you'll see I'm just constantly posting about the shows that I'm working on. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Selling Hosnie. I like to say that's where I sort of like sell myself to you because, again, I'm just like promoting the work we're doing. And then I actually have a sub stack, which I write on about different sort of feelings I have about any sort of pop culture, just like, you know, I, I talk a lot about my family and, and sort of growing up as a child of immigrants, a lot about plastic surgery and like sort of the idea of what it means for like looks in Persian communities and that sort of obsession. Um, but uh, yeah, that's sellinghostnia.substack.com if you want to go read my writing. It's all free. I don't charge for any of it. Just a place, to, a creative outlet to write because I feel like I get so bogged down with like producing that I... I need a place to get my feelings out. That's amazing. Thanks for listening. This is Miha on the Mic, a season of reflection on our shared experiences as daughters of immigrants. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be sharing stories like these and inviting guests to share theirs. Follow us on Instagram at Miha Podcast, that's M-I-J-A podcast, and leave us a note if you like this story. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. 
This is a production of Studio Ochenta, a Latina-owned multilingual podcast studio dedicated to raising voices across cultures. For more from Studio Ochenta, follow us at Ochenta Podcasts on Instagram. That's O-C-H-E-N-T-A podcast with an S on Instagram. P.S. Don't forget this season is also about you. If you have a story you'd like to share, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I invite you to reach out on Instagram at Miha Podcast and leave us a message with a short story or memory of yours that warms your heart. We'll read it out loud on the show. Hasta pronto. Ciao. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French.